You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The self-described ride-hailing app Cater is set to launch in Vancouver at the end of the month. And while many have been waiting a very long time for ride-sharing this province, critics say there's little to celebrate about this service. Aaron MacArthur is live with more on this new Cater app and the criticism surrounding it. Aaron. Sophie, Cater is in the business of ride-hailing months ahead of its competition. Just don't expect it to work like anything else in the world. As of right now, this is the only game in town when it comes to rideshare. Cater will offer rides to people with an app, but only in Vancouver and only for a select number of customers. The BC company set to soft launch its product. Which uh, allows us to put some vehicles on the road and uh, provide the service that is so desperately needed. Cater is operating its rideshare platform months ahead of the big guys like Uber and Lyft. It's using taxi licenses with taxi drivers charging taxi fares. We are a hybrid. So our vehicles, yes, operate under taxi permitting but are only accessible through the app. We fully anticipate that the demand for this incredible service that we are offering will increase. The government is still months away from traditional rideshare. Insurance still needs to be sorted out, and what drivers will need in terms of licensing could be the biggest issue on the table. The NDP has said rideshare drivers will need a Class 4 license. The opposition says this is blatant favoritism and not at all what consumers want. This entire a uh, company has been set up to keep out Uber and Lyft at the end of the day. Rideshare BC has been lobbying the government for months on what they call true ride-hailing, a huge pool of drivers surging or contracting based on demand. It's a band-aid solution. We need to allow consumer choice. We need to allow companies like Uber and Lyft into the market. Cater is operational in Vancouver because we have been compliant with all the rules and regulations. That means that we must adhere to them, including our pricing structure. The company says it has hundreds of drivers ready to keep the fleet of 140 cars on the road 24-7. Cater expects to ramp up its licenses if demand meets expectation. All right, Aaron, what sort of time frame has the government given for the more traditional ride-hailing services like Uber and Lyft to apply to operate here? Well, Transportation Minister Claire Treveno won't commit to a date. The government saying all of these steps are being taken to ensure safety. Safety for passengers as well as safety for the drivers. The committee that Jazz Johal sits on is set to make recommendations to the Transportation Minister by the end of next week. All of that will be taken under consideration. And the minister says sometime in the fall, companies like Uber and Lyft and anyone else who wants to apply can apply for permits. Sophie. Oh. All right, we'll see what happens sometime in the fall then. Aaron, thank you. Vancouver police are identifying a vehicle in a hit and run earlier this week that injured two people. The VPD say the suspect vehicle is a gray or silver Kia Optima hybrid electric and likely now has front end damage. The collision happened early Monday morning on Fraser Street near East 20th. A 25-year-old woman from Surrey has been released from hospital while a 35-year-old Vancouver man remains in hospital in serious condition. 
Vancouver police also need victims of an unprovoked assault to come forward. They've arrested a 28-year-old man for allegedly spitting in the face of a 19-year-old woman in a wheelchair. It happened Sunday near Granville in West Georgia. After that incident, police say the man appears to have spit on several other people. He then appears to spit on the chest of an elderly gentleman walking by him on the sidewalk. The suspect then makes his way northbound on Granville Street towards West Georgia Street, where he then appears to spit on two uh, females, two women that are walking by him. We're looking at these uh, random assaults as being very concerning to us, and we're urging the additional victims to come forward as their information could be crucial to this investigation. So we're asking you to please come forward. The man who dragged a young gas station attendant to his death has died. In March 2005, 24-year-old Grant DePady was working alone at a Maple Ridge gas station when a driver filled up and attempted to leave without paying. DePady tried to stop the vehicle but was struck and dragged several kilometres. That driver, Darnell Pratt, who was 16 at the time, pleaded guilty to manslaughter and was sentenced as an adult to nine years minus time served. DePady's family say they have received a copy of Pratt's death certificate and the news has brought them some closure. DePady's death prompted Grant's Law, which requires drivers to pay for gas before they fill up. It also sets restrictions on employers whose staff work alone at night. Port Coquitlam is set to bring in some of the toughest bylaws yet to protect tenants from so-called renovictions. It's an issue that started in Vancouver and has been spreading east for a while, but Poco's mayor says not in his city. Sarah McDonald has more on how he plans to put a stop to predatory landlords. It's a controversial practice that's become commonplace in a province already in the throes of a housing crisis. From Vancouver to Burnaby to New Westminster, building after building swept up in a creeping tide of gentrification, forcing countless tenants from long-time rental units often without recourse. If they get kicked out, they have nowhere to go. You know, they have nowhere to go. But when it comes to so-called renovations, the buck stops in Port Coquitlam. The city sending a strong message with proposed regulations. I think more cities in Metro Vancouver particularly need to step up to the plate and do this. This apartment complex, the impetus for those strict new rules surrounding what the city calls a predatory practice. More than 100 tenants, many of them on fixed incomes, handed eviction notices last month. That was a first for the city and its two dozen dedicated rental buildings and tenants like Cheryl Sanfleven. We're people that could be homeless living on the street with nowhere to go. The new rules would mandate owners of buildings with five or more suites to provide accommodation for displaced tenants during renovations and allow them to return for the same monthly price. We have concerns about uh, the sort of supply and demand of it all. Measures this landlord fears may discourage others from investing in upgrades or purpose-built rentals. We live in, a, in an area that has uh, a demand that greatly exceeds the supply and we're kind of worried that as we punish the landlords for that more, we're going to see less and less landlords. Polarizing as they may be, those protections will likely soon be in place. That bylaw amendment expected to pass on Tuesday. Sarah McDonald, Global News. 
Well, finding an affordable place is also a challenge for the Surrey Gymnastics Society. After more than four decades in the same spot, it's been given notice. And when it does relocate, there are concerns many families will no longer be able to attend. Jill Bennett reports. That's the result of years of hard work. 17-year-old Trayson Seriato, a member of the Surrey Gymnastics Society since he was six. It's huge. It's everything been since I was a kid. The society raised the money and built this space in the early 80s, thanks in part to the Laughlins. They were key in making it happen. We sold it to the school board for $1 with the understanding on the lease that they could have use of the building. And then at 4 o'clock, our, our teams, our children would come in and do gymnastics. That agreement lasted for years, but now it's coming to an end. I'm saddened with the news, of course, because where would this uh, children go, the athletes go afterwards? Uh, we, we are we're given about a year to, to relocate. In an email to Chua, a member of the school district writes, at the conclusion of this lease, Surrey Gymnastics Society will be required to vacate the premises and to remove all of your equipment, goods, furniture, garbage and similar. There will be no extension to this final lease as the space will be required for an addition to Frank Hurt Secondary. Surrey Gymnastics Society should use the time until June 30th, 2020 to find alternate space. This new council has actually been really good and has shown an interest in improving the situation for sports organizations, but they're 10 years behind in their capital funding and they, you know, we're being impacted by that neglect. And even if the society finds a new space, without financial help, the added costs will lead to big increases in membership fees for families. If fees weren't as good as they were here, there's a good chance that I wouldn't still be in gymnastics today and so that is a pretty big deal. Jill Bennett, Global News. Those stories still to come on the News Hour. Right now, those serious questions are being raised tonight about whether the seniors advocate in this province is truly advocating for seniors. The allegations stem from a series of emails between the advocate and the hospital employees union, which appear to show collusion. Nadia Stewart has more on the allegations. All of this is happening in the dark. It is a small collection of documents, about 15 to 20 pages, obtained by the BC Care Providers Association through freedom of information. What we were uh, able to find within the document itself is a series of emails of between senior high-level leadership between the Hospital Employees Union and the Independent Office of the Seniors Advocate. The emails stem from a conversation surrounding this August 2018 report, one critical of privately run care homes. The BCCPA alleges correspondence between the BC Seniors Advocate Isabel McKenzie and Jennifer Whiteside of the Hospital Employees Union appears to show last-minute edits. They point to a change in the likelihood of death in hospital from 20 to 54 percent, with McKenzie noting it would, quote, obviously raise more questions. When you read these uh, documents, clearly indicates that there, there is no independence on the part of the seniors advocate. And given what we've been able to reveal today, we think that uh, she should step down. 
But Isabel McKenzie says that change was based on a recalculation looking at all deaths and not just those resulting from emergency departments. She also says advanced copies were sent to the health authorities and the BCCPA also had a copy, though it did not come from her office. She says her reports often ruffled feathers and that's what's happening here. So whether it's me or anybody else, if the idea is that you are to resign because you've upset an industry association, I think that that would cause greater concerns for British Columbians. As for the hospital's employees' union, they say they find the allegations puzzling. It's unfortunate the care, that the care providers are choosing to play politics here at a time when so many stakeholders in the system are working together to try and come up with solutions uh, to improve the situation with respect to seniors' care in our province. Nadia Stork, Global News. All right. Keith Baldry joins us from Victoria with more on this. What's the government's position on this, Keith? Are they going to turf Isabel McKenzie? No, not at all. Uh, in fact, I got an angry phone call from Health Minister Adrian Dix, who pointed out uh, she was actually hired by the B.C. Liberal government. She, he thinks she's doing a great job. He's dismissed uh, the care provider's concerns totally out of hand and is back to Ms. McKenzie to the hilt. And here's just a little taste of some of the things he actually had to say to me. He says, if people are going to have tantrums every time McKenzie is critical of something, then a lot of people are going to have a lot of tantrums. Uh, he went on to say that uh, she is, of course, critical of a lot of things, myself included from time to time, but that's her job. Her achievements are beyond question. So I can tell you, Isabel McKenzie's not going anywhere. Uh, her, she has a, a undefined term. She's not an officer of the legislature. Uh, she's a senior's advocate appointed uh, by cabinet and serves at the pleasure of cabinet. So Adrian Dix is in her corner. She's not going anywhere. A strong response from the health minister. Keith, thanks for that. Yeah. Two of Metro Vancouver's most popular public festivals may not happen this year because of a new ruling by a government commission. Richard Zussman tells us why the Glow Festivals in Langley, which attracted more than 100,000 people last year, could go dark. In the Fraser Valley, it's one of those must-do Christmas events. Last year, around 120,000 people showed up at Darvonda Nurseries, Light and festive decorations put up for the Glow Christmas in Langley. This year, the doors may be closed. The ALC has told us that we actually do not qualify for agritourism and that we basically have to apply for non-farm use if we want to do this event again. The ALC is the Agriculture Land Commission. In November, the independent body inspected the nursery's harvest event and found the farm broke the agritourism rules by not marketing products produced on the farm. During my inspection, I did not find that the focus of the event was on their own farm products. I found many other products were being promoted and marketed at the GLOW event. The Christmas Festival has been running since 2017, the Harvest Festival since last year. The ALC says the festivals could still run under certain conditions. So I've directed the owners at this time to submit a non-farm use application to the Commission for final decision. And that is due April 5th. But Jansen says they want to comply and have never been told directly what they did wrong. Yeah, we have our hanging baskets all above us here, ready to go for spring. The nursery may be bursting at the seams now, but has lots of space in the fall and around Christmas. We've been bonafide farmers for over 30 years. It makes no sense that what we're doing here is not farming. The BC Liberals say there needs to be some flexibility in the rules for farming families. You have to take a hard look at uh, uh, what's value added to actually help the farm family 
make some extra income. But as Jansen focuses on this spring's bounty, the debate over land use may mean that extra money this season remains dormant. Richard Zussman, Global News. The BC Conservation Officer Service has added another detective to its team. Canine Major is a 15-month-old German Shepherd that's been on the job since early December. He's able to sniff out invasive mussels on boats traveling into BC and can also find shell casings, poached animals, or illegal firearms hidden inside vehicles during hunting season. Canine Major underwent five weeks of intense training before joining the team. This is a live shot from Vancouver's Sunset Beach where people are gathering for a vigil to remember the victims of the mosque massacre in New Zealand. This on the same day New Zealand's Prime Minister followed through on her promise to change the country's lax gun laws. The mass and easy availability of these weapons must end. And today they will. Earlier today, Jacinda Ardern announcing an immediate ban on military-style semi-automatic guns just one week after 50 people died in that attack. Another shocking development tonight in the controversy over Boeing 737 MAX 8 aircraft following two deadly crashes. The New York Times is reporting that neither the Ethiopian Airlines jet nor the Lion Air jet were equipped with safety features that were offered by Boeing as upgrades at an additional cost. The extra safety features were not standard on the 737 MAX and neither Lion Air nor Ethiopian Air paid for the upgrade. They include an angle of attack indicator that reads two exterior sensors to tell pilots the angle of their plane and a disagreement alert if those sensors provide conflicting information so the pilot can take action. But the basic 737 MAX computer relies on just one sensor, not both. Investigators in Indonesia believe one faulty sensor fed bad data to the plane's computer, putting it into a nosedive. Now Boeing says that disagreement alert will become standard and included in the new software update. Had the pilots had the AOA disagreement sensor and the training as to how to respond to a light on that sensor, they would have been able to manipulate their way out of this situation. Meanwhile, most airlines do not have a simulator for MAX pilot training, but Ethiopian Airlines does, though the captain of the plane that crashed last week had reportedly not yet used it. The airline says he did complete Boeing and FAA MAX training and was briefed on avoiding a repeat of the Indonesian crash. In the U.S., Southwest Airlines has the most MAXs in its fleet. It's waiting on a simulator. The pilots' union, known as SWAPA, wants more training before they fly the MAX again. SWAPA pilot are the last line of defense for our passengers and we're also an impartial advocate for them. So we won't fly an aircraft unless we feel it's safe. Both Air Canada and WestJet say their 737 MAX 8s are equipped with at least one of the two optional safety features. Both airlines have grounded the jets until at least July 1st. Donald Trump is sparking controversy once again tonight by overturning long-standing U.S. policy on the Israeli-occupied Golan Heights. Trump tweeting that after 52 years, it's time for the United States to fully recognize Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights. 
The announcement hands Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu a significant foreign policy victory less than three weeks before Israelis head to the polls. The announcement also goes against much of the international community, which has regarded the Golan Heights as occupied territory and Israeli settlements as illegal. Another bombshell development today in the SNC-Lavalin scandal, courtesy of former Treasury Board President Jane Philpott. Philpott tells McLean's magazine there's much more to the story that needs to be told. She also says all the reasons for her decision to quit the Liberal cabinet cannot be made public because of an attempt by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to shut down the story. For his part, Trudeau maintains he has been completely open. We uh, granted an unprecedented waiver to allow for fulsome testimony at the uh, Justice Committee so that uh, people could be heard on this matter as fully as possible. Despite their resignations from Cabinet, both Wilson-Raybould and Philpott are still part of the Liberal caucus. The truck driver who admitted to crashing into the Humboldt Broncos team's bus will learn his sentence tomorrow. The Crown says Jaskirat Singh Sidhu should serve 10 years in prison for the crash that claimed 16 lives and left 13 others injured. The father of one of the players killed in the crash hopes whatever sentence is handed down will be long enough to deter other drivers from putting people at risk. A warning about this next story right off the top. Some of the video might be disturbing. New video released in Florida of an accident that injured five high-wire performers, including members of the renowned Willenda family. As Miguel Almaguer reports, doctors say the performers are lucky to be alive. The eight high-wire performers were halfway across the steel cable when it happened. Plunging up to 40 feet down, five were injured. The newly released video captures Liwana Walenda toppling over, sending nearly everyone crashing to the ground where there was no safety net. Tonight, the Sheriff's Department releasing video of the 2017 accident at Circus Sarasota for the first time. Liwana of the famed Walenda family spoke to NBC News. My mouth is wired shut. I broke every bone in my face. The Wallenda family promises they'll keep performing. Despite this dramatic fall, tonight the show goes on. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News. Game of Thrones actress Amelia Clark is making headlines tonight, revealing she's had two life-threatening brain aneurysms and two life-saving surgeries since the show began. Clark says she had the first aneurysm in 2011 at the age of 24 while working out in London. Two years later, her doctors found a second aneurysm that required another surgery, and she spent a month in hospital. In Health Matters tonight, a BC doctor is working with BCIT on a new robot of sorts that could help premature babies thrive. As Linda Aylesworth reports, the new machine mimics the sounds a newborn wants to hear. The Neonatal Intensive Care Unit, or NICU, is where the sickest babies are cared for. It's a stressful place for parents and, of course, for the infants. Born at just 24 weeks and weighing under two pounds each, Hazel and Isla spent 131 days in BC Women's NICU. They had medical tests at sometimes daily, um, blood work. Isla had surgery, uh, two surgeries. Keeping them comfortable is important for brain development, but premature infants don't respond well to pain medication. 
And so instead we recommend things like uh, maternal skin-to-skin -skin holding, where parents actually hold the baby on their chest during procedures that are fairly straightforward, such as a blood test. But that isn't always possible, which brings us to an idea that Dr. McLean got while checking out some fuzzy little interactive robots developed at UBC that breathed and had heartbeats. And I thought, I wonder if we could use some of those attributes to have babies lie on something like that. Something that would mimic the comforting sounds and sensations of a mother's breathing and heartbeat. And so the calmer robot was born. And if the mother's heart rate is 70, we would pro program that in. If her breathing rate is 13, these are over a minute, we would program that in. Calmer, a joint project of BCIT, UBC and BC Women's Hospital, is still in the development phase. But study results involving 49 NICU infants are promising. We found that their responses were no different from babies who had nurses holding them. It's wonderful. It doesn't replace the parent or the caregiver, but it just adds to the resources that you have in the hospital. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Still to come, Burnaby's claim to classic car fame. Would fool you, you'd go, well, that's a European sports car. The rise and fall of the infamous Entera of the 1980s and why it's resurfacing now and just ahead. This is crazy. We're actually doing this. A BC man just 8,800 meters away from joining a very exclusive club. A Victoria man is on the verge of joining one of the most exclusive clubs in the world. People who've scaled the seven highest mountains on each of the seven continents. As Kylie Stanton reports, he has just one challenge left. When sprinting up a mountain isn't enough, it's time to pack on the pounds. Just uh, four liter jugs of water, just to add some weight. Chris Dare never shies away from a challenge. And now he's getting ready to take on his biggest one yet. The Seven Summits is a, it's a mountaineering challenge where um, you strive to climb the highest peak on every continent. It started back in 2010 with one mountain. We made it. It was an incredible experience. And then when you're there at Kilimanjaro, people are telling you like, oh, this is one of the Seven Summits. That piqued his interest. Right then and there, Dare decided to dedicate his life to conquering them all. Everybody thought it was crazy, like no doubt. But that same year, he summited Mount Elbrus in Europe. Then in 2012, it was over to North America to climb Denali and South America to Mount Aconcagua, the highest mountain outside the Himalayas. This is crazy. We're actually doing this. The following year, he traveled to Indonesia to Karsten's Pyramid. And most recently in 2016, he managed to check Mount Vincent off the list in Antarctica. Six down, one to go. Everest will be the very last of the seven summits. Why not try to finish with a bang and that'll be it. It takes two and a half months to acclimatize and train for the trek. Dare has had to combine two years of vacation and take out a loan in order to make it work. But if he makes it, not only will he achieve his lifelong dream in a matter of nine years, he'll also be joining a prestigious few who've done it before. 
415 worldwide, and only 22 Canadians. So if I'm able to successfully summit Everest, I'll be the 23rd. For some added motivation, Dare is hoping to raise at least $10,000 through Summits of Hope, a Vancouver-based foundation where climbers raise money for BC Children's Hospital. Oh my goodness. But to get there, he has to take everything one step at a time, quite literally. Like every mountain before, reaching that summit is not about the destination, it's the journey. All the hard work has paid off. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Good luck to him for sure. We'll keep on top of that story after the forecast. The stories behind this world record that make it all the more remarkable. Right now, though, let's check in with Kasia Badurka for a look at our forecast. Oh, there's the sun again. There it is. What a beauty of a day it was. Day four of record-setting temperatures. Sophie, good evening to you. We reached a daytime high of 16. We're sitting at 15 at this point, but inland sections we're at 20. Overnight low tonight, by the way, 6 degrees, but it was in the night sky that we saw quite the super moon. Have a look at this video. Ah, oh, wasn't that something? So this was the first full moon of spring, obviously, falling pretty much on the spring equinox. Uh, the last of the three super moons of 2019, so very special. And you could see so many of us were out there reveling in the beauty, also known as a worm super moon because of the time of the year that it fell on. So worm super moons fall in March, according to the Farmer's Almanac. All right, moving forward, your weather picture for today. Look at the daytime highs that we reached. It was another record setter, as I had mentioned. Uh, let me show you some of the numbers. Soyuz, one of the more impressive places at 19.4, but that wasn't the hot spot or the warmest spot in the entire country. That was in Hope at 20.7 degrees. Now, things are about to change. We do have a system that is moving in on us. It is in the Pacific at this point. We're already starting to see some cloud cover associated with that along the island. Now, expecting showers to begin as early as tomorrow afternoon. For us in Metro Vancouver, it's more so tomorrow evening that'll begin and we still do have a chance of showers moving forward into your Saturday. But a look at what to expect for your Friday. Gusty conditions for Sandspit and 9, still above seasonal temperatures for many of us right across the board. A sun cloud mix, a beauty of a day 15 for you in Kelowna, 15 in Cranbrook. And, well, for coastal sections, here's that rain that we are expecting. A look at your five-day forecast. Again, your Friday night, that's when we're expecting the rain. And we end off with this gorgeous shot. There's your weather window, guys, from Eileen. Gilbert in Vernon. Very nice. Thanks, Kasia. Well, there's being in good shape, and then there's Minnesota's Andy Steinfeld. At the age of 71, he just set a new world record for his age for planking. Steinfeld held his body rigid with only his arms and feet touching the floor for 38 minutes. That beat the old record by more than a minute. To top it all off, he did it after recently finishing radiation treatment for prostate cancer. Steinfeld says he wants to help motivate others to overcome challenges and maintain a positive attitude. What? I think that Kasha looks like Linda Cardellini, and I'm the only one who does. I, 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 didn't even, I don't even know who Linda Cardellini was until you showed me the picture, <laughs> and I don't think they look alike. Okay, well, I'm going to find the right picture. And I'm going to clarify. I, when I said exercise is boring, I think playing sports is fun. Yes. But like lifting weights and stuff. Ugh. Well, you got into the right it's not for me. field of work then. Yes. You like no sports. heavy lifting either. It's perfect. And you can uh, talk about sports. That's true. Uh, not surprisingly, Alfonso Davies will not play for Canada this Sunday at BC Place when they take on French Guyana, although this is a game Canada should win regardless. Uh, Davies has a stretched knee ligament, and he is staying in Munich. 
He will definitely be needed, though, when Canada plays tougher teams down the road because Davies is a big part of the revival of the men's national team. Just gets in around the back as he pulls that one back. It's driven in. It's felt like Canada's men's national team has been in a constant state of chaos for a couple of decades. But finally, it seems they have the proper coach and structure in place that can get this program back to respectability. John Herdman used a we are family type of culture with the Canadian women's team and it was very successful leading to two Olympic bronze medals but there was skepticism he could get the men to buy into a similar philosophy but after 14 months on the job it's been all positive. It's an exciting project it's a new culture we're forming a brotherhood and we're hoping that we're going to take new New progress, you know. You know, national team's been up and down for a long while, but now we're coming into a new, a new era. We're definitely going in the right direction, and you can see the intensity in which we train. Um, the groups, the boys, have, have 110 percent bought into it, to what the men are trying to do here, and, and that's that's a major factor. Led by Alfonso Davies, Canada has never been more talented on the men's side. They've got young players with skill who can push forward and score goals, something Canada has always struggled with. To Herdman, the talent is great, but it needs to be supplemented by national pride for Canada to climb the world soccer ladder. We're deepening that meaning of what it means to play and play for each other and I think that's what will get us through in the end because we're a talented group but we're not as talented as Mexico or the US or Costa Rica at this stage. We don't have that, that depth of talent but uh, we'll have some talent and we'll have the team spirit that gets us through. Canada may or may not be guaranteed a spot as host in the 2026 World Cup but they plan on earning their way there one way or the other over the next few years. Barry DeLay, Global Sports. All right, Habs got a win to stay in the playoff race. Taking on the Islanders. It's already 2-0 Montreal. Jonathan Drouin, they need this guy to get going. He has the puck. Now he doesn't have the puck. Now he has it again in the booth. 4-0, Montreal leads in the third period. Bianca Andreescu coming off that big win in Indian Wells down in Miami. She struggled early in her match today against Serena Beju, but then she lost the first set, was down 2-5 in the second set, rallied. To win the second set and then dominated in the third set. So she moves on to the second round. Good comeback by Andreescu. This story just keeps getting better. Inside, another 18-year-old from Canada, Felix Auger Aliassimi, dropped the first set of his match, but he also roared back to beat Casper Rude of Norway. 3-6-6-1-6-2. Tomorrow, Shapovalov and Ronich will play their opening matches at this tournament. PGA, it's the Valspar, which uh, Adam Hadwin won a couple of years ago. And Hadwin here is chipping in for Eagle, but he's still two over 74. World number one, Dustin Johnson on the eighth. He is three off the lead. He's at two under par. Roger Sloan of Merritt, minus one. Nick Taylor of Abbotsford, even par. Adam Svensson of Surrey struggled, plus five after round one. After today's Mariners-Oakland game in Tokyo, Japan, which Seattle won 5-4, Ichiro Suzuki said, Sayonara, and baseball fans everywhere said, Irigato. Ichiro announced his retirement at the age of 45 after starring both in the Japanese leagues and the major leagues. Uh, his career began in Japan with the Oryx Blue Wave before he joined Seattle in 2001. So it seemed right his last game should be with Seattle while playing in Tokyo. 
I love this bit. I've always loved Utro at the plate because he always does this right. There. <laughs> Didn't get a hit today. Almost got this one, though. There was a time he beat out these singles in the infield. Leaves is the game's all-time hitter if you combine Jap Japan and Major League stats. Holds a record for most hits in one Major League season set in 2004. This guy could hit the long ball, but he perfected the art of the singles, and he was also a great fielder as well, a 10-time gold glover. Ichiro saying goodbye to the baseball world. There you go. They hadn't announced it before, right? He made the official announcement after the game. Okay. I'm done. Well, Everybody kind of knew that sense. this was going to be it, but that's and official. fitting. It's a fit. Yes, fitting. This is your snow report for today. No new fresh snow, and despite the heat, ski operators have maintained quite the healthy, heavy snowpack. At Grouse, for instance, still a massive 300 centimeters of snow on the ground. Revelstoke has 215 centimeters, similar to Whitewater, which has 217 centimeters of snow. Big White has 225 centimeters of snow. Silver Star has 199. Powder King, also an impressive 278 centimeters. Coming up on ET Canada, we're inside the Big Brother Canada house for an exclusive sneak peek, plus Jan Arden on what is real and what is fictional inside her new TV comedy. All of that is coming up at 7 right after the news hour, but for now, it's back to you, Sophie. All right, thanks very much, Cheryl. Hi. Correct me. Oh, it's arigato. Thank arigato. I said, arigato. I said eerie, arigato. so I'm wrong. Sayonara. Arigato. Thank you. Thank you. I just didn't want to be rude. No, no, no. Okay. You jump in whenever you like. When I'm messing up, get in there and help me. Okay. Okay. Um, Let's anyway, talk about the car. So at the auto show, you can see brand new cars, and they also have vintage cars. And this behind me is a vintage car, but it's got a local angle to it. It's the Intera because it was built here. Not like here, but in Burnaby, which is mm. close to here. There we go. This car is a 1987 Intera. It's one of the few survivors of what was a spectacular business failure. Only 38 were made in the 80s, 36 of them in Burnaby. Possibly six are left. The idea was to take a Pontiac Fiero and make it look like a high-end sports car with a new body and new interior. General Motors was down with the idea, and so was the federal government, which spotted the company $10 million to make them. It was a good idea, but the people behind it just didn't have the experience to bring it off and in the end it was very costly to those people who placed orders and never got their money back and the Canadian taxpayers for which uh, each car cost them about a quarter of a million dollars. The Intera's assembly plant in Burnaby didn't last very long. It was abandoned after the money ran out. But the story of the car is so obscure that the remaining vehicles are not as sought after by collectors as you'd think. Well, that's the thing. A lot of car collectors would have no idea that these cars exist, so they're not particularly collectible. To have a collector car that's much sought after, people have to know about it, and hardly anybody knows about the uh, Intera. But Ian and Doreen Newby did know about them, and they bought this one off one of the Intera's former production managers. What is your favorite part of this Intera? It's incredibly comfortable. Uh, I don't know if you've sat in it yet, but once you're in there, you don't want to get out. Really? It's, uh, it's a well-designed, well-engineered car. There is one very strange quirk to this strange story. Despite being locally built and GM approved, ICBC won't allow the Intera on our roads. They are saying that the cars weren't approved uh, for driving 
33 years ago. They were never approved to they be would, driven? They, they were never approved to be driven, and they've all been wrongfully registered. So until that changes, this Canadian creation will have to be pushed into automotive history. <laughs> you see, there's my, that was my exercise. I helped push the car. That is good for you. Yeah, you yeah. didn't pull a muscle Actually, you know what? No, I, I, I felt a little shaky afterwards. <laughs> That's a good-looking car. It's actually a beautiful-looking. It looks. You said it, it looks very '80s, very Miami Vice. Miami Vice. Yes, it has. It has '80s all over it. The '80s are coming back again, aren't they? So really, I kind of hope not. Uh, but, uh, sunshine, saying goodbye for a bit. Yeah, but tomorrow's still about 15 to 17 degrees. I'll take it. Have a good night, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Arigato.